welcome to the Adam Fitch podcast. I'm your host Adam Fitch and I'm actually going to try something a bit different today because uh, I've been thinking about it and I quite I find it quite interesting um, when people define what they do themselves. So for example, I've been trying to think what I would class myself now that I've been creating video content and I don't like the term content creator. Um, I mean I write anyway so that's creating content. So I just kind of thought how, how that's um, viewed by other people as well. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to throw it over to my guests to introduce themselves and, and how they would describe themselves like career-wise <laughs> and, and what they do day-to-day. Oh, man. This <laughs> honestly could be the hardest question you ask me all day. That's, um, that's fine. So I am trained as a creative strategist and an art director, so that's really kind of my core competency. Um, I have a specialty in esports and gaming, so... I've been working in the industry in within the context of ad agencies and talent agencies since about 2015, 2014. Um, I am also the co-founder and, and a partner in Theorycraft, which is a strategic consulting and, and creative advisory firm. So a little bit of like helping to run our company, a little bit of actual day-to-day creative work. So um I think that's... You missed something really me? important, though, about you. Your oh, name. Man, your, what? Your name. Come on. Oh, yeah. <laughs> no one needs that. No one needs um, your name, no. My name is Lauren Gaba Flanagan. There we go. That, we need to, people need to know where they can Google you and, and find out that you're uh, Forbes 30 under 30 in games and stuff like that, you know. Oh, my God. Yes. Um, yeah. That... that that was the thing that happened. I'm surprised you didn't bring that. Oh, if I if I was on that list, I I would refer to myself as Forbes 30 under 30 entry Adam Fitch. I, that would be like my title <laughs> if I if I was on a Forbes list. I think the best thing about it for me is that it's a it's a rubric that people outside of esports and gaming understand. Mm-hmm. Like to me, that's the biggest benefit of it is really that you know, it's something that is recognized outside the industry that people who aren't super familiar with the industry immediately register kind of what that is and have a base understanding of it. Um, so for that reason, it was great. <laughs> um, so, so before we get into Theorycraft and, and what that is and, and what you do, what I actually want to discuss is, so, um, I interviewed you for Esports Insider uh, late last year. I can't. I think it was late last year. I, my memory's all over the shop because it's been so busy recently. Um, and and um, I found your entry into esports or the first time you working with an esports to be quite interesting. So I was wondering if you could expand on that a bit. Obviously, working with um, Overwatch League. Yeah, absolutely. So um, when I was at CAA, which is for those of you who don't know, it is a, a sports and talent agency that's one of the biggest in the world. They represent everyone from, you know, major football and basketball stars to A-list actors to, you know, top global touring acts. Um, very diversified, many, many different lines of business, but really CAA kind of sits right at, at the center of anything pop culture. Um, And when I was there, I was working in the corporate marketing group. So really what we did was look at integrating our clients across 
all forms of, of entertainment. I'm so sorry. I'm getting a phone call and right, my computer no does this really unfortunate thing when that happens. <laughs> it's all good. I didn't hear a thing actually. Um, so really we, we, our group kind of the thesis of it is injecting brands into pop culture and pop culture into brands. So, you know, looking across every line of entertainment from film and television and music to the arts and even, you know, culinary, really sort of running the gamut. And I've always been hugely passionate about toys and games and really just this idea of using your imagination and channeling the human urge to solve. And um, <clears throat> really what I wanted to do was get our get our group working in, in gaming and esports. And so I made it my mission. I really did a lot of work in terms of socializing everyone in the group on the industry. I brought in guest speakers. I took people to events, um, you know, presented a huge amount of research and from there kind of got people really excited about it and then was able to assemble sort of a smaller working group within the company that you know, was full of people who were really excited about, about the space. And at that point we started, you know, looking at what brand clients we were working with that would be right for gaming and esports, and kind of, you know, assessing the opportunity that existed from, you know, target audience to, you know, just in terms of really understanding how we could achieve our clients business objectives using esports and gaming kind of as that creative channel. And one day my boss got a phone call from Bobby Kodak out of the blue. Um, <clears throat> and at that point we were, we had the opportunity still to this day, like I stumble talking about it because it, it genuinely does still feel very surreal. Yeah. Um, but we had the opportunity to start work on the Overwatch League. And at that point, this was 2016, because I think it was January 2017 that was the opening month. Um, so this was 2016, and we started to work on it. It was the creative lead on it. I worked on nothing else for several months. Um, you know, just a incredibly exciting shoot really just kind of buzzing with that energy of something that's really something big was clearly happening um you know i the league obviously is in such a different place and with home and away and you know things are ch are changing pretty pretty dramatically i think but at the time it was totally uncharted territory and you know we worked on the, the launch campaign and the promotional strategy and we shot a ton of players a lot of those players are still playing today we you know jake lyons and you know i mean tons of players we yeah. probably shot 24 players and then we shot three casters we shot uber we shot monty and we shot mr x um, I met Uber Monty and Mr. X that day. Monty and I stayed friends. My relationship with Monty kind of predicated a lot of what I'm doing now. So yeah, that's, that is the, 
So, so ob- um, obviously, Overwatch League has, has, has changed quite a bit now, and 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 when it was coming into the industry, it was um, seen as like our version of like a traditional sports league, I guess, like all the glitz and glamour and the big partners and and traveling and location based stuff. Um, what w- would you? partner those brands together at this point obviously everything was a lot of it was all based on promise back then and, and it is now still in esports with a lot of investment talk you know like if you invest now in 10 years time you'll get your money back type thing it's all based on promise but the overwatch league by my estimations at least um hasn't done what it set out to do initially and it's kind of been dropping off as time goes on you know when we're seeing players retire quite early now and, and obviously the mass exodus of talent recently going into the third season so i'm saying all that to say would you partner those two brands together now or do you think there were there were better fits out there now that you've seen the product in in action as such i think the first two seasons were a totally different product does that make sense like the you know if i were assessing overwatch league seasons you know, this coming season and beyond for a client, you know, there are clients for whom something completely international does make sense. Something with this much travel makes a lot of sense. If I had a hospitality client, if I had an airline partner, I think, you know, those are our clients that actually regardless of whether or not the league is hitting viewership targets or this or that, I think, the organic content that could come out of something like that. And, you know, I I think there are a lot of benefits to something like that. If it's a relationship and a consumer category that just makes a ton of sense. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, I, I am, I think my core, issue is the wrong word but kind of the axle that i'm really wound on with overwatch league right now is kind of this fan journey piece and i've talked about it on twitter a little bit but it really kind of about centering consumers and viewers at at every point and really kind of looking at the consumer journey and the experience of being an Overwatch League fan. And, you know, really this is kind of a very circuitous way of saying, I think it, we're not talking about viewership retention for an esports product as much as we should be. Um, You know, you can't, because this isn't the NFL or the NBA or, you know, any sort of major sports league, you really kind of have to look at, you know, why people watch and what keeps them excited for an entire season's worth of matchups. And we're not talking about that enough. Like there actually is so much work on the back end from a marketing standpoint of what information are we, what is the messaging that we're serving these people? When are we serving it to them? What about our broadcast is going to get, you know, these audiences excited? Who are these audiences building really detailed consumer profiles, kind of getting a sense of who they are and why they would like 
some a product like Overwatch League and really kind of seeking ways to keep them engaged yeah. for an entire season, I think is is really important. That was not the most articulate way of saying that, but I hope at the end. No, no, it's, it's fine. Don't don't worry. No, like, like I, I prefer to be speaking with with somebody who. I don't know someone who who's chatty, you know, and has has a lot of insight and and brings stuff to the table rather than some people are just very blunt and 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 nah, it's just a bit boring to speak to. So no, it's 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 good. Don't don't worry at all. No, it's it's good to speak to you. So um, as as well as Overwatch League, we've seen um the likes of NBA Two K League, whether you like it or not, that's brought in a lot of partners and and Riot Games has done a good job with the LEC since it rebranded from EU LCS as well in in securing these big partners. So you've got like Kia Motors and Red Bull and Shell. Um, Biko Beko still don't know how to pronounce that some home appliances brand which I still don't understand why it's part of the league as such and it managed to um, increase viewership by quite a bit when it did make this change so um, from what you've seen of the LEC would you say that's a good example of how things could be done in esports or are we still not quite there really Uh, like viewership retention at least has been bloody good for the LEC and then obviously the the partnerships on top of that For, for me very impressive stuff in the first year Yep, totally agree. I have been impressed with the LEC since they rebranded. To me, that was one of the strongest rebrands, kind of, and not to say that I wasn't impressed by the LEC before that, but I really feel like they've ushered in a new era era of really being a best-in-class product. Um, You know, it looks fantastic. The content strategy is really interesting, Mm -hmm. and, you know, the partnerships that they've been able to pull into it have been, you know, very additive. So I would say that, you know, we're, we, when you talk to a creative person, we never feel like we're there. You know what I mean? Like there's so much work that I want to see done and I want to push the envelope across so many different things. Um, but I think the LEC feels like an amazingly modern, interesting, compelling esports product in 2020. Yeah, and I think I think one thing we've seen. So obviously we've seen a lot of deals being signed, a lot of sponsorships, a lot of partnerships and such. But um, the the way these brands are actually integrating into esports, like it's it's here and there. Sometimes. It's amazing stuff. Sometimes it's not with, with the LEC, for example. They, I think they've done a, a, a great job of that so far. One that kind of well, it's, it's quite entertaining, I guess, is um, bringing in Nestle's brand KitKat for the 2020 Spring Split, uh, and KitKat's gonna sponsor when there's like technical def- technical difficulties and breaks in the in the broadcast, which is quite a negative thing to attach your brand to. But I think it, in my opinion, at least, but I think it shows. Um, that you, that they want to be part of the league, however they can, and it and and obviously with their slogan of like have a break, have a Kit Kat, it fits in and it, it feels quite authentic and and well planned out. So even there, for for example, I think that they've done a good job. Um, and we'll see if it has actually delivered delivered any value to Nestle and Kit Kat, uh, for the for the summer split if they if it comes back, you know, um, if it doesn't, then not many people will even notice it or speak about it, but I'll certainly be like, okay, yeah, so that failed. Nestle is going <laughs> to pull back what he's doing in esports now or at least pivot to maybe the LCS or, as you say, like an Overwatch League, maybe a Call of Duty League. Um, but oh, we won't get into Call of Duty League because I don't feel like swearing and ranting 
um, this podcast, I'll be honest. I've had enough of it already. And I'm a Call of Duty fan, and it's only been one weekend. But, yeah, I've... <sighs> <sighs> I've, had, I've had enough of that. But yeah, basically all I'm saying is LEC doing a really good job. The fact that you agree makes me feel like my opinion's right. So, <laughs> so, <laughs> Don't give me that much credit. No, no, you know you know what you're doing. I mean, you're a lot more creative than me. I'll put it that way. I'm I'm not a creative guy by any means, but like when I spot stuff and then a creative person spots it as well and says, yep, yep, you're right. I'm like, oh, there we go. It's not even an opinion anymore. It's basically a fact. So, uh, <laughs> um. I want, I want to touch more on theorycraft. So, so you, you explained how you met Monty. So how, how and who else is involved in, in theorycraft? And, and how do you go from the point of meeting him to being like, okay, let's let's start an advisory firm together, you know? Yeah, so um, I ended up taking my job with UEG, which was an Edelman agency, very shortly after I left CAA. And... I had stayed in touch with Monty and was sort of kind of reassessing my next step in esports and really wanted to enter the industry in a full-time capacity and sort of leave ad land behind. And Monty really pushed me in a lot of ways. I think, you know, I, he elicits strong opinions. <laughs> <laughs> from people I agree. um but i think you know there's a side to him that i feel like a lot of people maybe don't see or, or maybe you do because he's very vocal on twitter and kind of you know is just across the board an extremely supportive person um but i think he really kind of pushed me to reassess and was sort of the person saying lauren why are you trying to go back to another agency? Why are you trying to go back to another talent agency? Why are you trying to kind of, you know, go create equity in esports in a space that you have really strong expertise in for somebody else when you could really kind of strike out on your own and, and build something meaningful. And, you know, for someone coming from a place like CAA, which is a, you know, multi company across the world, huge this is also say just like massive infrastructure and coming from you know coming from a place where I had that much internal support and kind of you know resources and all yeah. of those things that are the major benefits of working at a huge company um that freaked me out candidly <laughs> but um you know, the more I kind of worked through every eventuality, the more I felt like there actually really was something there. And Monty introduced me to Bryce because Bryce was in a similar situation just in that he had been doing a huge, I mean, Bryce has done a huge amount of consulting this is, work. This is over- Bryce Blum. Yes, this is Bryce Blum. Yeah. Um, Bryce had done a huge amount of consulting work in the past and, you know, was we basically just sort of got together and said it it feels like it makes sense for us to kind of build our own vehicle to do this and when you look at all four of us we all come from dramatically different backgrounds you know we really you know can can assemble a meaningful service offering that we feel like a lot of folks whether it's in entertainment or in an ad agency or, you know, 
a consulting firm, this skill set that we possess together is is unusual. It just, you know, it's it's a pretty wide breadth of services and you know, you don't always find people who have skill sets that complement one another like that. And choosing not not to raise money before going ahead with it was that a, a choice of uh, we want full control of everything we don't want anyone else to have their fingers in the pot as such or uh, what what was kind of the decision process behind that as much as you can say obviously if you can't say anything at all then then let me know when we move on no i mean it, you know i think people should actually be more candid about fundraising i agree 100 percent that sort of stuff because i feel like there's a lot of opacity around it and not a lot of transparency and you know i i would like to be the change i wish to see in the world in most cases so i'm happy to talk about it um i think you know the reality is that with a service business it doesn't make that much sense to raise money because when you look at what hard costs we have we all have computers. I should hope so. <laughs> and that's literally pretty much it. I mean, we're, you know, we made the executive decision to all work remotely. We, you know, I mean, we're together a lot, but, you know, we don't have an office space. We mm. don't have overhead right now. We don't have, we haven't hired. Um, so, you know, really the beauty of, of not raising is that it gives you a ton of flexibility and, you know, you kind of go off of a model where you, it's a little bit of like, eat what you kill. Like we, you know, are all doggedly pursuing a ton of new business. You know, we're able to bring it in if we close a certain deal that, you know, has the resources that allow for us to bring on a freelancer on a project basis, we'll bring somebody in and, you know, they'll work with us for the duration of the project. And that's kind of how we staff and resource against things. Mm-hmm. So, you know, there's, there are tons of pluses and minuses to raising. Raising for service businesses is really hard. It doesn't even make that much sense. Um, you know, there, there's, if I were to look at kind of what we would spend money on, there's not that much, like we, you know, would maybe use that money to make a couple of key hires and then just have a, a large cash reserve sitting in the bank that, you know, kind of, and give up control of our company, but really kind of for what? So, mm-hmm, exactly. you know, if, if we had, you know, and at some point we're talking about, you know, some other um, extensions of, of our current business that may make sense for us to raise at that point, but it's sort of a cross that bridge when you get to it kind of a thing. Of course. And something I'm noticing a lot with, with startups, I guess the more prominent promising startups in esports, which is a positive thing, I think is um, companies aren't rushing to raise like so you got like duke.gg for example it's got a lot of hype behind it now i spoke to ben um on a previous episode of this podcast i still don't 100 percent understand the premise of it and why i need it really to be completely honest with you but a lot of people are championing it right now and he's saying 
right, we're not really worried about that. What we want to do is make the, the best products that we can and the best service that we can. And at that point, we'll evaluate the options, you know, instead of rushing into things. And um, because as, as much as eSports is doing great things and there's a lot of promise there, there's a, there's a lot of young and unexperienced or inexperienced people, I should say, um, getting involved and, 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 and doing what they can, you know, and uh, and money seems to be on the top of a lot of their minds. Uh, so, no, it's, it's, it's as you say, it's, it's good to hear more experiences and, and understand the decisions behind why someone hasn't hasn't raised yet especially when launching as such so what what would you say like the ultimate goal that you've got for theorycraft is in its current form at least as you say you might branch out into other things but um as an advisory firm as such like right now like what are you looking to do and looking to change within the industry we would really like to become we're we're actually and you know this is something i kind of would like to talk with you more about at some point, but we are right now looking at a couple of different projects that are not necessarily for clients, but are just internal projects that we feel really strongly about that we are really excited about that we feel like can really start to drive cultural conversation within esports and, you know, really kind of build up, you know, I don't want to say like taste making is not the right word, but we feel like there's room to do really cool creative stuff that will be incredibly well received that, you know, is just kind of done on our own volition in terms of the kind of work that we want to make. If we can get a client to support it, that's great. But if not, we're still going to go ahead and do it ourselves. Mm-hmm. Um, and what I really want is to become a creative and strategic outfit where you can get, you know, both best in class strategic consulting. So, you know, everything that Bryce offers you know, me to, uh, you know, more on the creative side, but, you know, really sort of like you are getting best in class strategic offering from someone like Bryce, who's, you know, an industry expert and has contributed, you know, so much meaning to the space as well as crazy creative shit from, me and Nathan um and we want to kind of like my my ideal scenario is you know the same brand or league or team or startup can come to us and say I feel like I'm getting really you know intelligent kind of buttoned up business advice Mm -hmm. in addition to like we will push you far outside your comfort zone creatively and really push you to make cool stuff so again what a weird answer to your question but i like it no no i like it (laughs) it's true like you know that's what i what i really want is to become sort of the definitive resource for those two things okay so say right i are you more going after or more looking to work with with clients say of the size of 
Activision Blizzard. Or if I was to come to you and say, look, my name's Adam Fitch. I'm starting out on this video stuff. I also write. I'm also podcasting. I'm appearing on a few things now. Um, I, I want... I want help, like building the best brand I can for me. Like, we, we, are, are you um, looking to service like the, the full range of, of clients? So those in between Activision, Activision Blizzard, and a small creator like me, or is it like a particular type of company or, or brand you're looking for? Um, you know, it, it's a it's a resources thing. Um, you know, our again, just kind of like in the spirit of transparency, mm-hmm. highly specialized creative and strategic consulting is not a service that can really be provided on the cheap. And so we are unbelievably excited to look at any and every individual startup brand, you know, major publisher, like, we're so excited to look at everything across the spectrum and, you know, across the value chain of the ecosystem. But, you know, it just comes down to it, it is a resources thing, unfortunately. And I wish we lived in a world where we could take every single client, um, you know, no matter the size and no matter the budget, but it's just the reality of, of a service business. So basically, I'm too broke for you, for all of your expertise. That that, <laughs> make, that makes sense. I also I also oh, agree. You don't even know what's in my bank account, and and you. No, I mean, and, and, <laughs> you know, I, I I hate that you use yourself as the example. Why not? No, no, it's, um, it's the best person. If if you're gonna be honest about someone, be honest about me. I can take it. It's the other. People no, no, no. Also, I just want to be clear that was not uh, me responding to you. Just like a, mm. you know. Yeah but, it's like, yeah, but are you Forbes 30 under 30, though? Can you even afford me, though? <laughs> Not all. Like, you'll, I'll probably get an invoice after this for your time. That makes sense to me. I mean, I'll yes, I'll get, I'll no, get a loan. Sure. I'll get a loan out for that because there's no way I'm affording that <laughs> on my own. And I'll have to call up Sam Cook, the MD of Esports Insider, and ask for a pay rise. Afterwards. Yeah. <laughs> but, um, no, no, no that, that makes sense. So, basically, Ninja, yeah, I'd work with, you'd work with Ninja, but little old adam fitch probably not i would also do the same if it, if i was in your position by the way and of, of course it's just like yeah if, if you want like best best of class like the best services out there then it's going to cost it it makes sense you know so no no also just cost. to be clear adam fitch if you oh, ever no. need my help with anything <laughs> please just call me yeah but like to to be completely honest with you i don't even know what i'm doing so there's no way i can even go to someone and say look i want this doing or like can you give me advice on this because i don't even know myself what i'm trying to do i was just like yeah i'm much better in front of a keyboard in front and then than in front of a microphone or a webcam i put it that way but like i I don't know what's going on i'm just trying to work stuff out you know but like like um to be completely truthful actually um i've noticed that um, the the biggest like journalists in the scene are also content creators and personalities, right? So obviously you've got Thorin and you've got Richard Lewis, but then Jacob Wolf's doing a lot of on camera bits and bobs now and, and streaming for ESPN. Um, and and so same with Fion and same with um, Emily Rand and such. And I was just like, right, well I'm obviously missing something here. What while I yeah sure if I become a personality that's fine. It's probably not a personality people want or need. <laughs> you know what I mean? But like that for. Uh, in the spirit of transparency there's always yeah that that's that's why i'm doing it you know just seeing seeing what comes of it 
so yeah, I may need some strategic help at some point. You never know, actually. Um, well, <laughs> but um, you know how to get how to reach me. I do. Well, what I, what I want to—it's not word association, but I want to throw a few um, rebrands at you, or companies that have rebranded in in recent times, and kind of get your opinions on on them. And then afterwards, we can kind of discuss why we think they've they've happened. If if that's all right with you. Yeah. Okay. So Fnatic. Me, I'm I myself, I don't get it, but I don't think I'm supposed to get it. It's just like over it's the third iteration of their logo now in like just over fifteen years. And each time it just gets a little bit sharper, it appears. But that that's all I can see from it. What what did you think when you saw that? Yeah. I mean <laughs> That's that's the perfect answer that without having to say anything else. I mean, I, you know, I just Excuse me while I just like look at another side by side just to refresh my memory because I haven't looked at it in yeah, probably it's just, a week. It just seems like it's um, gotten sharper and sharper as time goes on, and they seem to tweak the orange a little bit as well. Um, but the, it seemed like the essence is still there, and the excuse they used was, "Oh, it, it fits. It more fits. Um, it's like a more visual representation of what our brand stands for now." And it just it all seems wishy washy crap to me. But I'm not a creative. Yeah, I mean, you know, (laughs) rebrands are really challenging for a number of reasons. I think, you know, the the most important thing is having a point of view and knowing and being able to clearly articulate why you're doing it. Right. And, you know, that'll be true for every rebrand you're about to throw at me word association style but you know yeah i'm i'm just like i i you know have a have a reason have a point of view Mm -hmm. um clearly message it to me the the reader right and yeah okay okay so I, i think we agree on that with two very different answers, but I think I think we borderline agree. I'm not putting any words in your mouth there. Right, so next one. One, I'm not sure about at all. I, ca- I can't decide whether it was worthwhile or not, but obviously it's not for me to decide, but it's up to them. North, the Danish organisation, went from a lion to a goofy dragon. Um, and and in, the mean, in the meanwhile, in between um, having one brand and moving to the other, it actually just went and deleted all of it. I'm pretty sure most of its videos, all of its tweets, all of its Facebook posts, everything like that's a complete rebrand that that's like, okay, the old, the oldest doesn't exist. Yeah. That was the hardest part for me to swallow of the North rebrand. There are elements of it. I actually really love. I love this, you know, they've done an amazing job of incorporating this kind of sense of place into all of their branding. It is so clear that they're from Scandinavia, you know, homage to their Viking roots, you know, all of these sort of like beautiful Viking knots and, you know, mythology. And there's a lot there that is super cool. And, I worked on Canada Goose back in the day and really there's something incredibly powerful about brands that are hailing from kind of the northernmost places on earth and 
the sense of, you know, community and togetherness that you feel with other people from those parts of the world. And I know that sounds cerebral for someone who's not a brand strategist, but there's something powerful there. And I love that North is, is channeling that. Um, I think the hard part is, you know, I, I wish they had just, you know, the, the logo itself is my least favorite part of the rebrand. I think it's, you know, I I thought that they had a totally solid logo before. Uh Um, You know, the hardest part for me is that they deleted their entire brand up until this point. Yeah. And I understand wanting to completely start fresh and feel like you're building something from the ground up. That said, you know, you can still do that while not erasing your history. And also when you black out social channels like that, your fans start to wonder what's going on with the organization. Is there a new ownership? Should I be concerned? Are they going bankrupt? Mm -hmm. There's just too much kind of, there's too much room left for questioning. Yeah. And people not knowing whether or not, you know, this is something cool and exciting versus scary and bad. Okay. No, that's fair enough. Um, Evil geniuses. Now, after the, after the, the backlash that they faced there, obviously with peak six investments coming in and and buying it out and and such, they're taking complete control. Obviously they want to take it in a new direction, but, um, yeah, they actually came back, came out in in response to all the criticism, saying, "Oh, it's not entirely done yet. There are elements that are gonna come back into it. We just haven't got those sorted yet." So either that's a lie, or they've put out a, a new logo that isn't actually ready yet. Which, so I don't know. I th- I think they're just saying that to please fans, and they're gonna revisit it again to have another change. Um, which maybe even worse. Who knows at this point? So I I I didn't. I, I don't think the old ones. Oh, or the the previous one seemed particularly old fashioned or outdated. It has obviously a lot of legacy behind it, and a lot of history there. But I can also understand um, new ownership wanting it to feel like fresh, you know, and like uh, marking a new era and saying, "Look, that was that's what's happened in the past. This whatever happens from now on is our, is our doing," you know. So, what what do you think about the EG change up? I think that the thing about EG is that no matter what there's so much emotional attachment to that brand that it's going to be challenging to do, to touch it really in any way. Mm -hmm. And that's just the bottom line in my opinion. And, you know, objectively when I look at it, when Nathan looks at it, you know, if we're looking at this in a, in a vacuum, just Lauren and Nathan designers and art directors. Yeah. Mechanically it's good design. Mm -hmm. And I think the problem is that there's so much emotional attachment. There's so much history. There's also a lot of conflict around that brand, just in terms of, you know, people really feeling like this is kind of the knee plus ultra example of, private equity versus old guard esports and 
you know, there is a lot of like, it's in a very emotionally charged conversation, the one about EG. And I think, you know, the really what will be telling is the application of the brand and how they apply the brand identity, how they start to try to build equity for this new brand identity. Um, you know, what are they going to do with it? How are they going to infuse the new brand with meaning? You know, how are they going to talk to their audience about the rollout and continue to do so? Um, so, you know, this is all to say that I just, I deeply understand why people have that emotional reaction to something like the EG rebrand, just because, you know, fandom is a personality trait. Like if you're looking at it just from like a, you know, brand strategist perspective, like it's a core part of how people identify. And so when you change that or take it away or, you know, make people feel like they don't, it's not theirs anymore, there's a real sense of ownership there. So that especially is a very, very tricky one. Yeah, I'd say it's almost like Optic Gaming or Clan if they drastically changed what they were doing yeah and i mean it's different with optic gaming now anyway obviously with everything that's gone on there with uh hector's departure and and new ownership with the mortals and such but uh, say facecon for example i think they they changed their colors and stuff before a little bit but if they just went and got rid of the the fc entirely and came up with something new and deleted all their tweets and stuff you know like that that would never ever go down well even if it was the like most well-designed logo in existence you know so yeah you've you've got obviously got to take that into account um but yeah i I just kind of thought it seemed like they were backing out a bit when i can't remember who it was who said it. i think it was the coo um came out and was like oh yeah it's it's not entirely done yet we're going to introduce a little bit more like with some heritage and and a link back to how it was before and then in my head i'm just like well why have you released it now then you're either too hasty or you're making it up and and trying to please fans that way instead of leaning into it perhaps you know it's it's a i don't know i found i found that a bit of a a weird one but as you say it is there's nuance there and and you have to imagine they know what they're doing somewhat and they would have consulted with people you know it's it's just yeah maybe maybe the people didn't have quite have a quite understanding of of how connected uh, fans fans and industry folk are to to the brand you know it was never going to be um widely accepted or accepted wholly at least by everybody uh like like most things but i think it's just a matter of it's gonna you know it's gonna take time you know people will warm to it i think um it's just a matter of kind of really onboarding people into that rebrand process and making people feel like they're being heard Okay, no, no, I I agree, and I've got I've got a, a tricky question that I would fully understand if you did not want to answer. It's tricky, like your answer will probably be there straight away, but whether you, whether you can or want to say it or not is entirely different. Um, okay, if if you were given free reign on any organization or branding or or like approach and everything, right? If you were given free reign, someone just hands you the keys and goes, "There you go," and you get to choose which organization it is. Have you have you got one in mind that you that you would like to to work on, like uh, the entire approach, both creatively and strategically? <laughs> I, <laughs> you know, I actually I don't have 
an, if I had an aunt, like if I had an instant, like, you know, no doubt in my mind, it would be this team answer for this. I would probably just be candid and tell you and give you a reason why. Right. Um, the reality is that I actually feel like a, a lot of brands in esports just need to sort of I'm trying to think of kind of the easiest way to describe it for someone who's not, you know, dealing with brand built brand building day to day like I am. Mm-hmm. I think origin stories of these brands in esports are oftentimes, most of the time, really interesting. Like FaZe Clan, for example, their logo was drawn by one of their yeah marquee, by temper yeah. yeah by temper one of their marquee pieces of talent like there you know a, a lot of these organizations were just an idea that someone had in their bedroom late at night that ended up becoming what it is now mm-hmm. and those origin stories are all so interesting and what the decisions they've made about the brands oftentimes are are really interesting as well. Um, I think there's just some storytelling that's missing and just putting a little bit of like rigor and structure around these brands and how they're communicated. And, you know, I give my clients this example all the time, which is, you know, if I'm in an airport and I see someone wearing a hat with your team's logo on it, I don't know anything about esports. I ask them kind of, what is that hat? What's that team? What does that logo mean to you? Why do you care about it? What does that organization stand for? That person should be able to articulate an answer. And a lot of the time, the answer is something to the effect of like they do well in the games that I care about or my favorite player plays for them. Yeah. And though as a brand strategist, those aren't the answers that we want to hear just because you, you know, I've said this many times before, but I'll say it again, just, you know, for the purposes of consistency of me going on the record again and saying this, you know, in esports, you don't have generational affinity like you do in traditional sports yeah. and you don't have geography. And when you are lacking these two kind of really core tenets of what drive fandom in traditional sports, you have to solve for those things in creative ways. And I would like to help as many teams as would like our help, you know, trying to work through that and really helping organizations, you know, build brands with the correct architecture and storytelling and, you know, narrative mapping and strategic thought behind them as possible. Got you. No, no, that sounds fair enough. And that's a, that's a better answer than just, just pick it on to be fair so so in in the spirit of keeping these episodes um under an hour long because we're, we're 
we're getting towards it now and um respecting your time and the fact that i'm absolutely drowned in work as well what we will do is we'll call it a day here unfortunately there's a lot more that um i would like to have spoken about but perhaps a part two one day who knows um so um on twitter especially that that's that's where i see um your output the most um you're very insightful so where, where can people find yourself in theorycraft on there if they want to follow you yeah so um me personally i'm at lg flanagan pretty much everywhere um and a lot of my twitter threads i'm now posting on medium so folks have easy access to them if they want to refer back um theorycraft we are theorycraft adv everywhere so short for advisory so that's our website um that's our instagram that's our twitter all of that kind of stuff so we're also hello at theorycraftadv.com if anyone saw this and would like to get in touch that's the easiest way there we go thank you very much for taking the time to to speak to me today i really appreciate it and um thank you so much for having me i i'd wish you best luck for the future but i know you're gonna kill it anyway so yeah it is what it is what it is just keep, keep doing what you're doing i'm looking forward to seeing uh, everything that, that, that comes in the future you know i, I imagine the 2020 will be a, a big big year for yourself so yeah th- thank you again um, for, for joining me and thank you to everybody who's watched or listened this is the adam fitch podcast and it comes out every week on tuesdays at some time i don't know it's on every platform go look for it search for my name and and you will find it uh thank you all very much cheers <laughs>